So today I want to talk about power in, I N, power in love. Power in love. And as of right now, the plan is I'm just going to read out of one scripture verse. So I won't have you flipping all morning. It's going to be 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verses 12 through 16. 1 John 4, verses 12 through 16. And it says this. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It has been said that love is the most powerful force in the universe. As we just read in scripture, it tells us that God is love. No truer words have ever been spoken. Where love exists, God's power flows. For there, God's presence resides. As we have seen in the Bible and as we see here in our, in our study book, it's talking about God is love. There is no denying it because in 1 John 4, 13, it says, by this, having love, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Love is a very powerful emotion. The most powerful force in the universe is what our, is what our study book says. When Tara and I were dating, I always use my family as stories because I can use my family as stories and it's okay, they'll forgive me eventually if it's weird. But when Tara and I were dating, my boss at the time, Jeff Easter, those of you, if you know who Jeff Easter is, he's just, he's a country goofball. You know what I mean? He's just, he's goofy. Jeff would always tell me, John boy, listen, if you don't screw this thing up and you actually marry this girl, he said, I'm gonna give you one good piece of advice. Okay. What's that? Happy wife, happy life. Uh Uh-huh. He said, trust me, just remember, she's happy, you'll be happy. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But yet when you love somebody with everything you've got, you're going to make sure that person is happy. You're going to do what you can to make sure that person knows it and feels it. It's not work, right? right? The second example I want to use is just crazy love that I can compare it to is when Logan was born. When Logan was born, it was, it was a hard season actually for us in our life. We were alone in Georgia. We were, we, we, 
We were far away from all family. My sister lived in town, but it was just kind of, we, we were on our own. It was just me and Tara. And we didn't have that a whole lot. Because when we were first married, I mean, we were with the family. Listen, let me tell y'all something. There ain't nothing better than getting married than hopping on a 45-foot bus, eight foot wide with 14 of your closest in-laws. <laughs> to live. Good times. But at this particular season, we were by ourselves. It was just us. And when Logan was born, he was born a month early, unexpected. But when he was born, let me back up just a minute. So when, Lo, when, when Tara was pregnant, my brother-in-law told me this, Greg, he, he told me this. He said, John, he said, you really don't know what love is. Real love. Until you hold your baby in your arms. He said, then, then you'll know what real love is. I'm like, what? Man, you crazy, bro. You, no, whatever. When Tara went into labor and Logan was born, he was turned different. When he was born, he came out face up instead of face down. So the first thing I saw was his face. And I can't describe to you the feeling and the emotion I had in that instant, that second. And instantly, those words that my brother-in-law said came back in my head. You'll never know what love is until you hold your baby. And at that point, in an instant, I went from, oh man, I'm gonna be a father to, oh man, I'm gonna be a father. No, 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 I am a father. It's up to me. I gotta provide for this kid. I, holy cow, he's got to eat, he's got, I got to protect him, I got to do this, and instantly it kicks in. That love was tangible. Love. But even that, as great as that is, does not compare to the love that Christ has for you and for me. But not only for you and for me, but for the one who doesn't want love. So they say. Getting ahead of myself. See, here's the thing. The devil knows this as well. He knows about love. He knows God's love for us. And he knows that he cannot defeat the love of God. So what does he do? The devil is a great mocker. The devil cannot do and conquer God and he knows it. So what does he do? He mocks God. He brings something in to contradict God and try to convince you that it's more powerful than the original. So he sends out his own powerful emotion to try to convince us it is more powerful than God's love. That emotion is hate and fear. Powerful emotions, it is, but it's not more powerful than the love of God. The devil's goal is to try and convince you that hate and fear are stronger than love. He wants to try and convince us that he is stronger than God, but that just simply isn't true. Of course, we see big examples of hate and fear every day. Right, we can all say that, we see it every day. 
You can scroll through Facebook. You don't even have to turn on the TV. Everywhere, it's evident everywhere, hate and fear. So that's the big cases, right? What about the small ones that we allow in our own lives every day? We, the church, allow every day. What about the hate and fear we speak into existence just by carelessly getting frustrated? What does the Bible say? The power of life and death or what? In the tongue. We speak many things into existence that have no business being in existence. Just because we carelessly say, oh, I hate that person. Where's the love of God in that? You just spoke hate into existence. A lot of times we raise our children in the, as I put on my paper, quote, fear and admonition of the Lord, as we're supposed to. But a lot of times that fear is the wrong kind of fear. It's not, we don't teach our kids the reverent, respectful fear. It's the do one wrong thing and you're going to go straight to hell kind of fear. See, the problem with that is we may think we're just trying to keep them out of trouble, right? But in all reality, we are teaching them that God is a God of wrath and judgment where there is no love, no grace to be had. Now, yes, God is a God of wrath and judgment when we turn our backs to him and don't receive his gift, his gift of love and salvation. But if we don't balance that with the fact that God is also love, compassion, we, and, and the fact that he will be by our side no matter what, we are perverting the very image of what God is. We are. It's truth. Say, so John, how do you know? I'm a living example of it. I was raised in church. The old saying says, and you all know this, I was in church nine months before I was born. I was raised in church, but I was raised in church that said, do one thing, you're going to die and go to hell. Painted a picture of God sitting on his throne with a lightning bolt in his hand, just waiting for me to screw up so he can... Pow! Got him. That's the way I was raised. <laughs> I was so scared that when I was going to school, getting a ride with my mom's best friend's son, and I had a big test that I was studying for, and I was scared to death because the test was hard. He would play rock music. And I was so scared of the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail this test because I'm listening to rock music. <laughs> Funny, but that's the fear I lived under. That was my vision of what God really was. I was told as a teenager that, hey, listen, if you mess up, in life, 
You do the unthinkable. You do something stupid. You can be a Christian, but you'll never be used of God. That's what they said. And they compared it to a chessboard. You can still be on the board and go to heaven, but you'll never be any use on the board of life. That's what we were taught. So as a teenager, when I screwed up, I was like, eh, what's the point of even trying anymore? What's the point? See the importance of balancing, raising, not just kids, but a new Christian in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but also with the grace and mercy of the Lord. How many, if you want to raise your hand, you can raise your hand. You don't have to. How many have been church hurt by a church? I hated church. Hated church. Tell on myself, do y'all realize that this is the first church I've been a part of? since I walked out of the church I graduated from in high school? Like legitimately? And if you don't know me, it has nothing to do that they're my family. Because ask my wife, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I don't care. If I didn't believe in it and if I didn't know it was true, I wouldn't be here. All those years when I was church hurt, I hated church because everything I saw in church was fake. Everything I saw. It was a do as I do, do as I preach, not as I do kind of a thing. Love your neighbor. Yeah, that didn't quite happen. Because technically, according to the Bible, see, see, here's the problem. I was raised in the Christian school that they taught of the church. And I was also schooled in every verse of the Bible. So then when they would contradict what the Bible that they're teaching me and I would ask the question, I would be told to shut up. What? How does that work? There's a balance, y'all, in love and in fear and the admonition of the Lord. And what, is, what, what are we saying? What is the most powerful thing out there in the universe? Love. Love is. Love will break the broken. I'm sorry. Love will break the hard-stoned heart. Love will break the broken and, and sad. Love will restore that. How are we, how, how are we supposed to, to win a lost and dying world for Christ if all we do is judge, condemn, and hate on them. The love of God needs to be evident not only in word, as I was just talking about, but in deed as well. Paul shows us this all throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament. He was beaten falsely accused, imprisoned, but yet he still loved and had compassion for a lost and dying world. He pursued them with purpose. I don't believe Paul could have endured any of it without the love of Christ on his side and in full operation in his life. Paul did not continue to face incredible hardships and trial 
out of any desire for personal gain. He realized fully that the way he was called to walk would be fraught with obstacles and danger. But Paul was compelled. He was compelled as a soldier with a mission is determined to forward ahead. He was compelled to go. He had to go. Paul knew well he was a soldier in the army of Christ and his mission was clear. He was to live out the great commission with every ounce of his being. Mere duty could not have exerted enough influence on Paul's self-preservation instincts to drive him forward into the face of ever-present danger. Do you understand what that's saying right there? Does everybody understand that? In other words, we all have within us, it's built in us that we wanna live. We have it built inside of us that, hey, that stove's hot, I probably shouldn't touch it because it's gonna hurt, right? We have that instinct to wanna live. Paul knew well what was gonna happen to him when he went and testified in the synagogue. He was gonna be beat. They were gonna try to kill him. He already knew it, but he ignored his self-preservation inside of him to push forward because he knew that was the call God had placed on his life. Only love for God and man could so motivate a man to lay aside all of that for what? The upward call of Christ. Only love, as the, as the book says, the most powerful force in the universe, the love for God, but not only the love for God, but for his fellow man. That was the only thing that pushed him through. As we have seen and been learning, Paul was constant, constant in his walk with Christ. In every aspect, he was consistent. We have to be consistent in our love for others as Christ is consistent in his love for us. The Bible says what? Perfect love casts out all fear. Sometimes a perfect love will be tested. Like when you are showing a love for Christ, a love for Christ, a love of Christ to someone, and that someone spits at you in your face. They just spit at you. And they call you a fake. Question is this, do you have enough love and grace to show that very person they were wrong by showing back up? with the same love and compassion instead of just quitting on them? Do we? Do I? See, here's the thing about the world. Here's the crazy thing about the world. The world, they know Christians. They know Christians. But they expect you to fail. And then when you fail, they expect you to quit and not to show back up. Or... They expect that if they come at you with some shock and all crazy thing, that you're going to quit and never come back. That's what they expect. 
in the road, on the road when I lived <laughs> for years. Man, oh man, oh. It was okay for everybody else to get mad, upset, angry about circumstances on the road. But because I was a Christian, I wasn't allowed. Oh, what, Mr. Christian? You get mad too? <laughs> yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> but the fact is, is that they, they watch and they expect you to fail. And then the reason they expect you to fail and want you to fail is so then they can point at you and say, see, I knew you were a fake. But the, the difference is this. When you go right back to them the next day and be like, hey, I'm still here. I'm still consistent. I'm still loving. I failed, but I'm consistently coming back to you and letting you know that God's grace and love is so much better. Is that making any sense? Does that make any sense? We got to be consistent. Listen, it's not easy, right? It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, look at Paul. He knew what would happen when he walked into the temple to preach Jesus, right? He knew it. He knew that when he walked into that temple, more than likely he was going to be beat, persecuted, and jailed in some shape or fashion. He knew it. But consistently, what does it say? That when he was done speaking in the temple, some were changed and some were not. Paul was consistent, though. We need to love with the love of Christ consistently and know that God will do the rest. And we will see some change and we may not see some changed. But we would have planted the seed of love and once the seed has been planted, God's going to do the rest. It's just up to us to be consistent. It's just up to us to be consistent. It's up to us to keep showing up. It's up to us to go up to that one youth who is angry and acts out to love him. And then when you go back to him the next day and he's angry and lashes out again to love him again. Is it easy? No, it's hard, it's hard. No, it's not easy. I'm not saying it is, <laughs> it's work. And sometimes you gotta pray through. Sometimes you gotta pray through the frustration of the flesh to go back. It could be your own child, it could be a brother, it could be a sister, it could be a family member, it could be anything. But the fact is, is that God's called us to love, not to hate. God has called us to be consistent in that. Because I'm gonna, I wanna say this, imagine, 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 imagine if in our time of struggle, when we hated God, if he would have turned his back on us and ran. Imagine, because yes, there was a time where I hated God. I hated the very existence of even hearing God, hated it. But you know what? He never turned his back on me. He never turned his back on me. And he was there waiting, willing. He was. So our ultimate example is Christ. 
Our ultimate example is him. Let's be consistent in our love for others. And let me put it this way. Let's be consistent in our love for each other, okay? And others outside our four walls, whether they look like us, whether they don't, whether they smell like us, whether they don't, whether they act the way we think they should act or whether they don't. Because the fact of the matter is, if they're acting out, there's a reason behind it. That's just the truth, and we all know it. We all know it's true. But let's be consistent in our love, y'all. I'm preaching to me as well. I really am. I'm, I'm not, this, again, y'all don't understand the conviction I get when I'm reading through this stuff. I'm like, okay, God, seriously? Get off me. But I'm preaching to myself. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to everyone here. We're moving next week, right? We're moving. What happens when you sell a house and then you move? If you're like my wife, she's like, hey, let's get a dumpster and throw everything away and not take anything we don't need. Right? Let's get rid of it. So, hey, we're moving to a new house. Let's load the dumpster up of everything we don't need and let's not carry it north. Let's leave it. Let's be a church full of love and compassion. Let's be that. Let's be the church God has called us to be. Let's do that. Let's do that. Will it be easy? No. Will we be tested? Yes. But let, 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 let's try. Let's, let's just try. Let's try to load the dumpster up of everything we don't need that is not of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you, God, Lord, for your love that is never failing. Father, when I rejected your love and didn't want your love, God, you were consistent in loving me. You were consistent in showing me grace and mercy. Father, thank you for that. God, I ask for the grace to love with the same kind of love, Father. Allow me, Father God, to have the same determination, God, to serve you and to love like you and not bring reproach on your name, God. Father, today I pray, Lord, that as we end this last Sunday school lesson here, that Lord, we will not take with us the trash to the new property, God. Lord, empty us. Allow us to throw away and set aside all the things, God, that are not of you. Allow us to walk in a new way, Father, that is pleasing to you. Father, I pray for the rest of this service today, God, that you will be glorified, God, that you will be magnified in every way. Father, I pray for our pastors, God, that you will continue to anoint, to bless, to speak through them, Father God. Continue to lead them as they lead us, Father. Father, today I pray once again, God, that your Holy Spirit will be tangible in this place. Lives will be changed. All of our lives will be changed today, God, through the power of your Son. 
Father, I love you and I thank you, God. And I praise you for everything that you have done in my life and in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.